Well, that was cool. <laughs> Hadn't seen that before. Uh, we're going to read Philippians 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Would you stand as we read the word, and then we'll, we'll get into our passage this morning. Really, this is gleanings from Philippians, and so we want to talk about joyful community. So in Philippians 1, verse 1, I, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We would say amen to that verse many times. Just as, I, just as it is right for me to thank this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He's from the South. He has you all all the time, okay? And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray over the word. Lord, I'm so thankful for Ronald and for just his desire and love, I know, to grow. And just as he's brought these needs before us, we do make them our prayers. And Lord, as we go through this passage, we pray in Jesus' name, you would move us along in our walk with you, that you would grant to us by your Holy Spirit this joy that Paul talks about in, the, in this book, that we would have joyful community. We ask, Lord, again, for the work of your Spirit among us in our hearts to draw us to yourself, because we know, Lord, that it's abiding in you that our joy is full, knowing you, walking with you, trusting you, and watching you work. You began the good work, we'll complete it. We're thankful for that. We pray for that. We ask, Lord, now in Jesus' name, bless these next four weeks as we just glean from this fabulous little book called Philippians. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So joyful community. Uh, as I was uh, just preparing for this, yesterday Garrett sent me this Facebook post from Pastor Dave, David Tripp. Many of you know who he is. And he wrote this, quote, As I witnessed and reflected on 2020 and the events of January 6, 2021, I've had moments of tears for our country, but more profoundly for the church that I love that is so broken angry, and divided. In this fallen world, the church of Jesus Christ should be a beacon of love, grace, unity, patience, mercy, and peace. How are you handling your political disagreements with your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Have you given way to the temptation to say or post divisive things? Have you reactively clouded your witness? As I reflected on this moment that we are in, these passages came to mind. May they challenge and encourage you as you seek to live out your calling as an ambassador, reflecting the character of the king who has drawn you near by grace. His first verse was Philippians 4, 5. I want to read 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And how we are to be gentle and loving and caring for people. And yet we have been tested to the max in this time we've gone through as, a, as individuals, as families, as a church. So joyful community, gleanings from Philippians. I want to banner the, uh, one word for 2021. And I shared this last week in first service. It's community. It seems to me that all, after all that we've experienced in 2020, I think it's safe to say that we are all hungry for meaningful, healing, and hopeful relationship. Would you amen that? In fact, I know it's safe because God is relational. And he created us for relationship. And as you are well aware, we are being robbed of many of these things through the things that have happened. So for the next four Sundays through January, we're going to talk about community. And I specifically want to talk about joyful community. As we, as we go through the 2021, we spend the first month of every new year filling out these prayer cards. I began this last week, and I want to continue this week just to ask you to fill out. You can do one, you can do two, you can do 20. It doesn't matter. In fact, it matters to God. Get them in there. This is our prayer bowl. We talked about this last week. If you're watching online, you can submit your prayer requests. We'll make sure to get them in the bowl, and we're going to pray over them all year. We're going to go through them all year. So as I've been preparing for this series, as it's unfolded, and that's what's happened, my goal has become this, to begin and add to a list of joyful community values. What does it take? What does that look like? And I'm sure I can't possibly hit all of them or in detail in most of them. But as I was thinking about this, the, the list begins with the two this morning. Number one, we get past ourselves. In other words, the joy of thinking about you less than I think about myself. Secondly, we talk to God. So not only are we the joy of thinking about you, but then the joy of praying for you, and let me reverse it, you for me. So joyful community, these gleanings from Philippians, an introduction to the book, brief. It says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy. Now, he met Timothy on this second missionary journey. So he's writing now with Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. He always begins his letters with that. In other words, he's living for Jesus Christ happily, joyfully. Timothy is living for Jesus Christ happily, joyfully. So when we say a slave, it's a good slavery because my life is given over to Jesus Christ and his purpose, and his purposes are also, are always to bring joy. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may be full. Jesus said that himself about abiding in him. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may be full. In other words, that your relationship with Jesus Christ my relationship with him is what is so central and necessary if I'm going to experience any kind of joy or any kind of joyful community. And so he says there, to all the saints. Now, saints is just someone that's so wonderful. Never make mistakes. In fact, they glow. <laughs> no. <laughs> a saint, the joy is a saint is someone who's been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, set apart for God, for his work. And that brings a lot of tarnishing. That God starts to, to sort of wipe and make shine. He takes the weak things of the world and the foolish things and he uses them. That's you. That's the saints. 
who are in Philippi, specific church, city, with the bishops and deacons, leaders, grace to you and peace from the only source, God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the city of Philippi was a very flourishing Roman colony. It's named after Alexander the Great's father, whose name was Philip. The church at Philippi, you'll, you'll read this in Acts chapter 16, Paul planted on a second missionary journey, but it wasn't on purpose. In fact, if you want to look at a church planting plan, don't look at Acts 16. He'd never do it. The way that God planted this church, he led Paul on this, on this venture. Now, what happened is, he plants it on a second missionary journey because on the first missionary journey, when they were all done, Paul had a split with John Mark. So there you have it. These saints had a problem. And so the second missionary journey, Paul is now taking Silas to go on this journey. Now, they visited the churches from the first journey, the churches that had been planted. And we're going to pick it up in Acts 16. It says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, he became a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren there. And Paul wanted to have him go with him, which is what he did. Now, I, want, I asked for, a, we put this map up here. Here's the second missionary journey. If maps help you, they help me tremendously. So we read in Acts 16, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, so here is where he, he in the beginning, he meets Timothy. And now they're going this route where they're going to wind up in Troas. As it re, continues in Acts 16, they came, after they come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the, whole, the Spirit did not permit them. So Paul didn't have this dialed in like GPS from God. He's trying to understand what God, where God's leading him. Do you find that? Absolutely. There's a joy to that if we can trust the Lord. Okay, I'm trying this and that didn't happen. The Spirit didn't permit me. Then he says, so passing by mystery, we came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia. So they're in this this right here, Troas, and he's saying, come to Macedonia, or Europe, and come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after they, they, he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, it's interesting, the change of pronouns. As the beginning of, the, of this journey, it's they, they, because Luke is writing the book of Acts. But when it gets over to Troas, the, the, and they're going to make this trip, it changes to we. It's very possible that Luke's hometown was Philippi. It's very possible that he pastored the early church at Philippi. So here they're now connected, and Paul and Luke became very close traveling companions. So we get this picture. In Philippi is where the gospel was first preached to Europe, and in Philippi it's where Paul planted the first church in Europe. And the, 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 the details behind that, you'll find in Acts 16. I was thinking I'd give you a summary report, but I'm going to say that's your homework. Read chapter 16 and see what happened. It's, it's very unique what happened. It wasn't, well, I'll say this. Paul wound up, wound up in prison, chained and beaten in Philippi. And as they're there and they're worshiping God in the prison, the, God shakes the foundation, the prison doors open, and the prison Guard got saved. His family got saved. You have Lydia got saved. So the beginnings of that church, in fact, I made a little note here. It says what I, what I wrote. Let me get back to that. It says here, Paul and Silas were given a vision that took them to Philippi. Now, here's the deal. 
God had everyone and everything prepared and in place for Paul and Silas's arrival. That is fun. Know this, God is doing the same thing in your journey. He is going before you to prepare the way where he's leading you. The question is, where is he leading? Well, that's trial and error many times. But there's a joy in realizing that God wants to lead us and direct us through the decisions that we make as best as we can tell. This is what God's saying. So the content of Paul's letter to the Philippians, they are words of a captive. They're one of four, this is one of four prison epistles. The others are Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. So Paul is writing from prison, and it's a letter of joy. He's writing from prison probably in Rome, possibly Caesarea, where he spent two years in prison, possibly even from Ephesus, where he spent a lot of time. They're not exactly sure, but he's a prisoner. It's one of the four prison epistles. So they're the words of a captive, and yet the theme is joy. <laughs> Somehow I can't relate those too well. But Paul knew the joy that came from being captive. And we'll look at this next week. From being a captive. In other words, another value is we are not victims. We are not victims. And Paul never looked at himself as a victim. He looked at himself as a victor. He looked at himself as being chained in Christ. He said, they may chain me, but they can't chain the word of God. And Paul operated from that understanding of this value that we are not victims. We have been saved by Jesus Christ. We are his. We belong to him. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we have a future and a hope that is sealed and signed through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross through his resurrection. And let me say this as we looked at last week. It's a coming soon. Our deliverance. Now, it also overflows with words of kindness. Paul had a very wonderful relationship with the Philippians. They had ministered to him time and time again. That always makes for a deep relationship. They heard Paul was in prison. They sent Epaphrodites, possibly even their pastor at the time, to minister to him. So this is like a big thank you of Paul the Apostle to these people, the Philippians. No other letters of Paul are so abundant in tenderness and kindness. And I would say the application for me with that is I need to increase my letters of kindness and gentleness, my verbiage of kindness and gentleness. Expository Bible commentary says this, quote, this letter stands out as being the most personal of all Paul's letters. No sharp rebukes of the congregation mar its joyful spirit. No disturbing problems. Now, if you want to, the Corinthians had these, Philippians doesn't. Uh, no disturbing problems threaten the progress of the church. The warnings are of a cautionary and preventative nature that are always in order, unquote. We need the cautions. We need those. But Paul's writing, and it's filled, some key words, or I would call key word groups in Philippians. Lord Jesus Christ God, listen, 78 times. And that's foundational to anything Speaking of joyful community, is that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, is outnumbers everything else, if you will. Another word is joy, another word group. Joy, rejoice, abundant, abound, 22 times in four chapters. Another one, two of them tied for third place. These, my, these groups, 
mind, think, meditate, heart, 17 times. Another 17, love, care, longing for you, affection, fellowship, gentleness, 17 times. It's flooded with this gentleness and kindness and love. The gospel, preaching the word 16 times. Now, there is a word that I call a key word compounds that we find 29 times. This letter is hard to give a subject to, and that word is thing. Thing. (laughs) Six times all things, five times the things, uh, four times whatever things, two times those things. And then you get thing one time, 12 times. This very thing, the same thing, those th- these things. One thing, what things, earthly things. We'll get to one thing, two thing in a minute. <laughs> Let nothing, for nothing, in nothing. In everything, if in anything, if there is anything. So Paul's just sort of whatever, everything, all things. And it's centered in this whole area of joy. No, it's hard to give a subject to it. And then you have one thing, two thing. Remember those guys? Dr. Seuss, classic. You may be one person to the world, but to one person, you may be the world. Would you take that to heart? To one person, you may be the world. That's joyful community. That may be your community. Maybe it's one person. But who are you? But be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind, unquote. In other words... We need community where we can be who God's created us to be and we can grow together and learn together. And that may be just a one person that's in our lives, whatever thing it may be. So two values, We we get past ourselves and we talk to God. Ephesians 1, 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Wow. Sincere. Let me be honest with you. Most of my thoughts are about me. (laughs) It's funny, like early on in in ministry, I'm going, I wonder what Pastor Wayne thought about that. And Charlotte would say to me, I hate to just, you know, but he's probably not even thinking about you. (laughs) And how many times have you, what I wonder what they're thinking. And they're not even thinking about you. They're not even thinking about me. But my thoughts, and I would say, hazard a guess, probably yours also, are about me. I live with a three-person cult. It always wrecks my joyful community. Me, myself, and I. You live with the same cult. Sin is selfishness, and selfishness is sin. We are masters at avoiding the reality of our selfishness. Selfishness is so accepted that it goes unnoticed, unchallenged, justified, and even applauded. Think about a normal day. Who did you get annoyed at, annoyed with, and why? And how were you thinking about that person? Now, for me personally, this happens most frequently when I'm driving. 
my little capsule going down, and no one can hear me, but God does. Last Sunday, I got a much-deserved speeding ticket. When the police officer came to the car, my Charlotte was with me and my daughter, began to tell me the extent of my transgressions. I think it surprised him when I said, you're right, I had it coming. I knew it was coming, actually. It's about an every three-year thing. <laughs> now I get the ticket, and it sort of takes over for a while, and then slowly, sorry, Gary. <laughs> but I said, when he handed me a ticket, after this whole, he went back to the car and all that, we smiled, actually, together. As I reiterated, I knew it would come at some point. I thanked him for all he does, which I always do. Then, because we're on the side of the road, and we're right near an exit ramp, he suggested for safety reasons that I take the exit ramp and then get back on the freeway, you know, go over the thing and go back on the freeway. I said, okay. And then I said to him, should I go the speed limit? <laughs> and we both laughed together. Because I understood, this is my transgression. And on the road, I'm the worst. Now, none of you can relate to that, I'm sure. A couple of years ago, I was talking to a pastor who did altar calls at every service. Large church. I had this unction in talking to him. Charlotte was with me with a couple other pastors. That I need to be doing the same. And some of you remember this from at least a couple years ago. But this, as I was with him, this, seer, this fear surfaced once again. And I asked my pastor friend about it. I said, what happens if no one responds? Pastor Daniel smiled, looked me in the eye and said, brother, you got to get past yourself. And it's like the Holy Spirit sort of stunned me into repentance. And I said, really? What am I thinking? People's souls are on the line, and I'm thinking about myself. I'm wondering what, why I won't what happens if no one comes up. And I, well, am I going to be embarrassed? I'm saying, hold on a second. Kevin, you are nuts. You're selfish. You're thinking about yourself. The value is we get past ourselves, and if we can't get past ourselves, we will never experience real joyful community. Because joyful community is about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, and his people. It's about others. That's where joy is. Not when we're, our universe and everything about our lives circles around us. That's a lonely life. That's a sad life. That's an empty life. When I'm seeking from everyone else what only God can give to me, and that is meaning and hope in loving, knowing and loving Him. We will know joyful community when we get past ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, so there's nothing wrong with that, but also, is there an also in your life? Is there an also in my life? 
is am I looking out rather than always looking in? That's the question. Philippians chapter 2. But I trust the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So Paul is thinking about them. He's concerned about them. He loves them. He's wondering what's going on. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. In other words, who is others-minded, who's thinking about others, who's past themselves and saying, yeah, Paul, serving Paul, going and caring for the people that Paul cared for. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, which is others-oriented. Philippians chapter 3, gleanings from Philippians. Here we have it. But what things were gained to me, these I counted lost for the excellence, these I counted lost Count lost for Christ. Whereas Paul's saying, this is not about me, it's about Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered, what? The loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Philippians again, verse 10 of chapter 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. And so we're not only, we're, we're the recipients of that same care, that same others oriented. It goes both ways. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So Paul's saying, I so appreciate what you're doing, and I know if you could do more, you'd do it. See, that's others oriented. Philippians 4. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. So they were were taking care of Paul's needs. See, we get past ourselves and we talk to God. We not only the joy of thinking about you, but the joy of praying for you. What Paul's saying. I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Whenever Paul thought about them, he thanked God for them. Thanking God upon every remembrance will increase every remembrance. And that in turn will increase our thanking God, which will in turn increase every remembrance, and pretty soon, well, you get it. In other words, I'm thinking, I'm thanking, I'm thinking, I'm thanking, I'm thinking, I'm thanking. Nurture a thankful heart in prayer. I think that's where it has to be nurtured. Between you and God, thanking God, even though there are many that you don't want to thank him for. And he gets that, and I get that, and you get that. But I would say pray for them when you're not thankful for them. Really? Yes, really. Always in every prayer, verse 4 and 5, of mine, make a request for you all with joy. He's praying for them. It's a joyful thing. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's praying for them. Talking to God. Philippians 1.19. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's saying, thank you for praying for me. I know that God's going to work through your prayers. Philippians 4, we know it well. 
Be anxious for nothing, really, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, notice, with thanksgiving. That's an element that's so important, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Greg, I so appreciate several years ago when you said, God, what we're doing is we're making our requests. That's what you said. I said and we make our requests. And it just simplifies. What are we doing? We're make, it's not even necessary that we believe or know how it's going to happen, but yet we're going to make the request. Here it is. Be made known to who? God. Now, God can do something about it. And the peace of God, will, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, when you're praying, when I'm praying, when we're thanking, when we're, we're bringing everything to God, we don't quite know how it works, but it does. It gives a peace that what we've done is the most important thing and the best thing we can ever do, and that is take it all and unload it on God. He can handle it, and he can also take care of it. And how we need an encouragement in prayer, in thankfulness, in prayer, in being anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, what the picture there is, it's like you got problems, you got enemies attacking you, pray, and God's going to send a soul and stand over your heart and you'll have peace. You'll be protected again. You'll be experiencing this, this peace of God that you can't even explain, but you know it's God. You know it. And so we get past ourselves and we talk to God. Two values of a joyful community. So he says, always in every prayer. So let's talk about Paul's prayers a moment. Paul's prayers were filled with the joy of his relationship with those he's praying for. His prayers are filled with the joy of relationship. That's the building blocks of an intercessor who is praying for people. Relationship. In fact, when there's not relationship, the worst things that I've ever heard can be said. We see that all over Facebook, all over the media. People saying things they never say in relationship. Paul could not see them or be with them. He's in prison, but he prayed for them. In fact, it had probably been 10 years since he saw them. And yet there's still in his heart to pray for them because he had relationship with them. Fellowship, the word means koinonia. Many of you know that. It talks about having something in common, a oneness. It's a unique word of, of this relationship, this community, these bonds that we have called koinonia, fellowship. Now, he says, in the gospel. In other words, there's this miraculous, spiritual, and eternal bond that we have as believers. In the gospel. There would have been no fellowship apart from each individual person having responded to the gospel. Lydia in Philippi, in Philippi the prison guard guy, the, the, the guy that's overseeing the prison, and many others that came to Christ at Philippi. The fellowship was because they responded to the gospel. Now in 2.1 it says, therefore, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, that's what he's saying. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, it's believers. If we have that, which we do. But then you get Philippians 3.10. 
Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his what? Sufferings. Both go hand in hand in relationship within the body of Christ and among believers. And we talk to God. It's a great joy to see a brother or sister after years of being out of touch and find they're still walking with God. Find they're still walking with the Lord. They're still loving Jesus. But if you catch up with them, which you will, you find it has not been without trials, without failures, and without sorrows, but those are the very things that have made their relationship with God sweeter and deeper and thus also with each other. But there's also great sadness to see a brother or sister after years of being out of touch and they're no longer walking with God. And you knew them, and you had fellowship with them, maybe even for years, but you're out of touch. And you're back together, and they want nothing to do with God, or they've gotten hardened to God, or they're hardened, and, and they've gone through the same difficulties and same troubles, but something happened different. And I believe it probably had to do with fellowship. There is, once you've been in fellowship, there is no community to compare the fellowship we have in the believer's community. None. So I say to you, if that happens, pray for them because they are sad too. Maybe sad to us, but it's sad in their hearts too. They may not want to look at it. They may not want to see it at this point. But there's a sadness because they know what they've walked away from. God doesn't let go easily. And yes, it will be that part of the fellowship of his sufferings. God weeps over lost people. God weeps over the prodigals. God's waiting and waiting for them to come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil. That's what's going on. It's sad in God's heart. It's sad in our hearts. And let me say there's a sadness to their hearts too. Being confident, he says, verse 6, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How many times have you quoted that scripture? Prayers, Paul's prayers were filled with a confidence of God's work in them. Not only his relationship with them, but God's work in them. Now, this is emphatic in the Greek language. In other words, Paul has an absolutely no doubt about it. God began it. God's going to complete it. There is this problem. In fact, I think it's a universal problem in the church. We all run into, to some degree or another. We can pray for others with confidence. But when it comes to ourselves... <laughs> We have no confidence. That's why we need to be praying for one another. People that believe for us, people that believe in us, people that are, are wanting to see us grow out of these, we need to be praying for one another. We must always ask for people to pray for us. That makes joyful community. After service now on our Sundays, we are going to have regular time of just 
If you want to sit and pray, take the last five, ten minutes, our worship team, just some background music, just to come in and spend time with God because we so lack any opportunity to do that. We're also going to be here to pray for you or maybe you pray for us and join together in this thing called prayer. And then we can begin to see our own confidence, people's confidence that God began it, God's going to complete it. Now, how did Paul know that God had begun it and that God would complete it? Simply, he was in fellowship. Which brings me to this passage in Hebrews 10. I think it's applied so often over this last year. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully. So we have this thing gathered together. We have this thing praying for one another and, and doing, exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And then he says, for if we sin willfully. In other words, when you're out of fellowship, it's easier to sin. We need each other to be praying together, fellowshipping together. Now, there also seems to be an uncomfortable, what I would call an uncomfortable problem. That we get uncomfortable to suggest that we bow our heads and pray together. We've got to get past this resistance because it's demonic. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. So I want to exhort you, my my fellow family, every time you get together, whether it's one person or a group, take, or maybe I should say, make time to pray. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not suggesting a prayer meeting. I'm simply suggesting a moment of prayer. I want to plant the seed if it's not already a part of what you do. That I hope will find good soil and bear fruit. That every time you're going to be with someone, a saint, or the saints, before you even get there, and then as you get ready to leave, to determine to pray together. And maybe you're the one that has to ask about that. And I find that that's, for many, is where it gets uncomfortable. And then do it. Often what happens for us, my prayer is, Lord, you've heard our conversations. You've heard what we've talked about tonight. You've been sitting right here with us. So I'm lifting those conversations just as my prayer. And then many times it it will involve what we talked about this situation. We talked about this person, and we're going to pray for them. I have never regretted taking a moment to pray before leaving. Maybe it's just with the one person I'm with, or maybe it's with two or three, or maybe a group. Maybe it's one minute, maybe it's five minutes. I have, however, regretted ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, can we pray together? That's the reason, and I think it's overcome in just a moment of saying, can we pray? And I think that makes for a joyful community. When we get, we get past ourselves, we talk to God. So in verses 7, just as it is right in me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partners with Paul's prayers were filled with affection. And Paul's prayers were filled with intercession. He loved them. And they loved him. Thus the prayers made the difference. They were there for him. 
And when they weren't, they were praying for him. And it's the same thing for us. Soon, Paul's going to be giving his defense to Caesar. They were praying for him. They understood that. They knew what was going on. Paul knew what it was to be forsaken. He meant three times in his letters, all forsook me, demons forsook me. But the Philippians never did, and he knew it. When you have someone in your life who you have walked with through difficult times, you have someone, and you have someone who not only prays for you, but practically helps you, which is what they did. It's a game changer. That's fellowship. The practical side. I want to I shout out Greg Parker. Because our, our dear brother Lars fell, and, and there was and Greg, you went over with someone yesterday to help him. I want to shout out our, our church. We have a lot of things going on. Practically, and this is what I think. We pray, 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 and then we're the answer to the prayers. Praying for Lars, or, and then we're the answer to the things practically to help people in their need. So what are his intercessions? How are we doing here? Okay, I want to I finish with these things. Paul prayed, he, his prayers were intercession. What did he pray for? Very simply, love. It's love. And I pray that your love, verse 9, may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. In other words, nothing secondary to love. That was his intercession. Nothing is secondary to love. That your love may keep growing, keep abounding. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So not only nothing secondary to love, but only the excellence of love. So let me do something that I hadn't thought about for a long time until this study. Because Pastor Chuck Smith did this. First time I heard it, I went, wow, that's powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love, it's the definition of love in the Bible. And by the way, there's no feelings to it. Love suffers long and is kind. Are you kidding me? No. Love suffers long and is kind. So you suffer, 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 and then you're kind. No, no. You suffer, 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 and then you're mean. That's not love. Love does not envy Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. <laughs> thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Love never what? Fails. Now, first I'll point out, we're talking about the love of God. So what Pastor Chuck did this one thing, he said, let's put your name in there. Kevin suffers long and is kind. I always think of Star Wars. <laughs> you know, a little guy on the shoulder there. <laughs> Kevin does not envy. Kevin does not parade himself, is not puffed up. Kevin does not behave rudely. Kevin, now... I will say this, I think I'm growing. <laughs> I think I'm getting a little better. But the natural flesh is the opposite, polar opposite, selfishness and sin, polar opposite. This requires something more than just an intention. It requires the Holy Spirit. 
Kevin does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. I do rejoice in the truth, but sometimes, yeah. Kevin bears all things. Kevin believes all things. Kevin hopes all things. Kevin never fails. <laughs> then what Pastor Chuck did, he said, now let's put Jesus' name in there. Breaks my heart. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. If there's one person that can be puffed up in all the world of humanity, it's Jesus. He's not puffed up. We'll look at this more in Philippians in our next study. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus thinks no evil perfectly. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus, belie- Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus never fails. And I say, that's who I need in my life. If there's ever going to be this growing more and more abounding in love. That you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. In other words, no phony baloney love. Romans, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Here it is, continuing steadfast in prayer. You want to see these things? It's going to require prayer. It's going to require fellowship. It's going to require Jesus. And it's going to require the Holy Spirit. So no phony baloney love and no mumbling, stumbling love. Paul said to the Romans again, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So he says, verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And finally, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ the glory and praise of God. Listen. His intercession is all glory and praise to God. The fruit of a life is because, because of the life of Christ in us. And that's what he says. So I close with these two Philippians. Therefore, is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What he tell And then he also... Love is the word, and then he's defining it. Peace, joy, first one. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So can we have the worship team come out and... Let's, we're going to take until about 25 after just to be able to pray for each other, pray with each other. Would you bow your heads with me as the band comes out? And I want to just start the time we're going to take.